0: you're listening to the Soil Talk podcast presented by Central Valley Ag. This is Keith Byerly, Precision Ag Manager at CVA, and I'm joined by Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead at CVA. This week on Soil Talk, we're going to be talking about one of the somewhat forgotten nutrients, and that is sulfur. But Tim This week with us we have what some people would consider a special guest. I'm going to be outnumbered this week with two Iwegians to one Nebraskan, but it's the Godfather himself, our very own, oh gosh, let's see, he's our agronomy, lead agronomist, he does the trainings for CVA, and he also heads up the scouting team, Neil Shoemaker. So, Neil?
1: Welcome, guys.
0: The voice
2: of uh, CVA radio right here, Neil Schumacher. So yeah, we've definitely got you outnumbered. Neil and I are both from Iowa, and Keith is our lone Nebraska guy today. So sulfur, what are we going to talk about on sulfur?
0: Why do we care about sulfur now when we didn't used to? I think that's probably as good a place to start with it as anything. Sulfur was largely ignored for years. And and there was a pretty obvious reason why, and that's changed a lot. And it goes back to fuel. It goes back to energy.
2: Yeah, air pollution, you know, we used to get all that uh, acid rain that was uh, sulfur gas leaving a lot of our smokestacks from our uh, electric power generation coming from high sulfur coal. And we've done a good job of cleaning that up through uh, scrubbers, lower sulfur coal, We've done a lot with the diesel, and we used to get a lot of sulfur in our diesel emissions from our trucks and our tractors, and we've moved over to with newer engines to low-sulfur diesel. So yeah, our industrial supply of sulfur that used to just come down with the rain, we really don't have that so much anymore.
0: And it was significant. Even though we didn't have what you would consider acid rain per se, it, it made a difference in the total nutrient needs. Now... When we talk about sulfur, this wasn't anything, I mean, out west in the sand ground where organic matter levels weren't high. Sulfur was an every year application, maybe multiple times a year application. But when we got to our heavier grounds, our higher organic matter, sulfur wasn't neglected in the same way. So I think that's probably the next place to start this conversation is what is the link between organic matter and sulfur?
2: we know organic matter of course has sulfur in it and as it mineralizes we're going to release sulfur and i think you're right keith one thing you got to think about is where are you at so in our sand hills up in uh, northeast nebraska or north central nebraska we've been thinking about sulfur a lot because of low organic matter but where neil and i are from in iowa we used to kind of ignore sulfur we just figured the organic matter was going to supply it so neil what's your experience with sulfur in some of the different areas you've
1: worked well i think is we talked about organic matter obviously is a big play in the further west in general that we move in Nebraska the lower organic matter so less opportunity for sulfur to be released or revitalized in the soil Uh, but in you know as we move into the eastern Corn Belt not only do we generally have better organic matter we had more pollution uh, and sulfur residue build up for residual benefits than we did in the western part of the of the Corn Belt so the process uh, took longer in the eastern Corn Belt without seeing any effects, whereas the further west you came, it became more obvious, and once we got to the sand hills, it was always pretty obvious uh, with those light sandy soils. So it's been uh, a, a more of an educational progress as we continue to move east every year, where we'd see a little bit more and more evidence of that, and as we soil sampled, we saw a little more evidence of lower numbers. and. Uh, ironically, we've gotten to where Iowa probably is focusing on that harder than we are in Nebraska simply because it's more of an anomaly there than it ever was for us in Nebraska.
2: Right. It's something new for those guys in Iowa. I'll throw another thing out there. I'll say planting date's part of it. You know, as we move up planting date earlier and earlier, you know, when you weren't planting until May 15th, well, you got a lot of mineralized sulfur out of your organic matter. May 5th, yeah, you still got a lot of mineralized sulfur out of your organic matter. But when you've got the planter out of the shed on April 15th and you're in the ground on April 20th, which probably not going to happen this year, but a lot of years we plant pretty early and we're, we're following some pretty cool temperatures. And I think that puts us at a disadvantage for sulfur as well.
1: I would also say that the, one of the biggest plays is probably the yield expectations and our yield goals today versus the last 20 years ago. We, A lot of places increased our yield goal as much as a, almost a, somewhere between 15 100 bushel an acre. And with that, the, the availability and the amount of sulfur that those plants need hasn't changed per bushel, but the absolute amount of sulfur needed in order to hit those yield goals has.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that it leads into another interesting aspect that goes with this sulfur conversation. And that is its interaction with the nitrogen itself. And and for lack of a better way of saying it, the balance that those two needs. Because to look back 30 years ago, what we were putting on for nitrogen uh, and our yield goals then versus our nitrogen application now and our yield goals, there's no doubt that we have brought down our applied pounds of nitrogen per bushel. But at the same time with these yield goals going up, that nitrogen to sulfur ratio that we're going out there with has changed a lot towards the, towards the sulfur side with, with the adoption of more sulfur being put on, on those acres. So what is the, it, do the plants themselves, the, do corn plants have an optimum ratio of nitrogen to sulfur that they want to see out there in a product mix that's flowing into those plants?
2: I would say from my experience, I would say that 1 to 10 to 1 to 15 would probably be a pretty good ratio. I don't off the top of my head remember. And, of course, it can be different with different plants. A plant with higher protein probably has a little bit higher need for sulfur. But I guess the ratio still might be very close to the same because it's only some of the amino acids have sulfur in them. Uh, generally that 1 to 10 to 1 to 15 ratio is normally what I talk to people about, both in application and in kind of what I'm looking for in the leaf tissue test. But I'd have to go back and look at specific numbers to give you a definite on that leaf tissue test.
1: And I would lean towards the 1 to 10 just to be comfortable. The amount of sulfur it takes to keep that in balance is pretty minimal in order not to see some effects of sulfur deficiency. So I, I guess I, I'm very comfortable with a 1 to 10 ratio uh, for the most part
0: now we say that and i know that we have guys out there in the sand ground that are probably applying more like two to ten one to five out there i mean 40 pound application of sulfur in those areas isn't out of the question at all to to meet the needs where we have lower organic matter so we might say uh, an application of of one to ten but the actual plant uptake is probably a, a little bit closer ratio than a one to ten.
2: Yeah that could very well be Keith and you're right that whenever we're making applications uh, you know a lot of times we're just trying to to help mother nature along. Mother nature's doing a lot of this on its own and we're just trying to 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 help it along and cover areas where we think it might not be meeting all the the crops needs so that ratio of what you apply in, in sulfur versus nitrogen is going to almost always be completely different in, say, Western Iowa, than it's going to be
0: in Valentine, Nebraska. So then I think this lends itself into another conversation with this, and that is we've talked so much about split application of nitrogen, how we need to feed the crop with nitrogen throughout the growing season, especially during the times of rapid uptake what does the uptake curve look like with sulfur and does it make sense to split apply sulfur the same way that we split apply nitrogen at the same time
2: and i would say that the uptake curve looks fairly similar to nitrogen you know fairly low uh total volume wise with that small plant in the v1 to v6 but at v6 you better have some sulfur out there because that's when it's also going to take up quite a bit of nitrogen The two match up pretty well as the plant builds proteins
1: And I would agree with that, and I think as we look at those uh, areas where they're running nitrogen uh, in the pivot, you know, during the growing season, a lot of those guys that have the organic soils are combining the two products together, and for good reason, because the utilization of both those products is pretty similar. Uh, They just need to spoon feed that, no different than they do their nitrogen as we go west. But the same philosophy, I think, uh, goes in harmony no matter where you're at in the Midwest growing corn, as far as the the relevance of, of timing for the availability of both those nutrients.
2: So the three of us are all from a little bit different areas. I'm going to kind of go around the circle here, and I'm going to put you on the spot first, Keith. How do you make your sulfur recommendations when you're visiting with the grower?
0: Sulfur recommendations for me are based off of what our crop removal needs are and where our organic matter levels sit. To me, um, the, the soil test that comes back on sulfur means very little because timing, The the timing can influence it so heavily with mineralization late in the season and a fall sample versus a spring sample and things like that that I completely ignore. I shouldn't say completely ignore. The only thing that I take out of a soil test from the lab is that if that number is starting to be really high, and when I say really high, if I'm seeing a number for my area of the country that's 15 to 20 part per million, out there in the lighter textured soils i'm starting to think that maybe the guy's application timing is off or the amount that he is applying it might be too high and i want to understand his whole system and when he's applying that stuff because that seems high for the time of year in those soils so neil
1: and i'll take it to the east side of the state where the only time i really look at a soil analysis very heavily beyond crop removal and the amount of pounds that I might be recommending is if his soil samples are coming back in the single digits. I know he doesn't have room, or I don't feel comfortable making a recommendation for less than what I would consider at least crop removal, if not a little bit more, if if his soil test is coming back in the single digits, because even though it may not be the most accurate test, it's an indication that he doesn't have a lot of reserve in that soil profile to live off of. Uh, regardless of the other nutrients if sulfur becomes a limiting factor we're going to see that. One of the things that we have really probably allowed us in this company to be comfortable with and not have to focus as hard on sulfur as some other people our uh, our, uh, involvement with Mosaic and the MicroEssentials product where we're automatically getting sulfur with our phosphorus product has really allowed us to be comfortable in helping us ensure that there's enough sulfur out there. So for those guys who uh, we work with and and the MicroEssentials product we're utilizing, we're already throwing sulfur into the program every time we apply phosphorus. I think that's really been a benefit for us and our growers to buffer the focus that we've had to try to drive with those people because the sulfur is already there and makes that that a little easier uh, for us to manage.
2: And I'll, I'll go along those same lines. So when I think about crop removal, and, and I don't have the number right off the top of my head, but I'm going to say about a tenth of a pound for every uh bushel of corn, so a 200 bushel of corn crop, 20 pounds of sulfur is that kind of ballpark of where I'd put that. I'm not sure that's perfect, but somewhere in that range. I do spend a little time looking at the lab report, and of course I spent 10 years working for a laboratory, so I give it a little more substance, even though I know that that sulfur test is not the greatest test at the lab. I'll look at it if, if the sulfur number coming back from the lab is fairly high, like maybe I've got, uh, oh, 15, 20 part per million out there, I might back that crop removal based rack off a little bit. Instead of applying 20 pounds, I might say, well, we could probably get by with 10, but I definitely wanna supplement what's in the soil. If the number's really low, um, I might push a little harder. instead of 20 pounds, maybe it should be 25 pounds of sulfur per acre. And again, around that uh, 10%, which, which turns out to be a lot of times around 10% of what I'm applying for nitrogen, Um, depending on if I'm following corn or beans, but all that kind of goes into it. And then I'll also look at organic matter. So if a guy's got an organic matter of 3.5%, then I know the sulfur recommendation isn't quite as critical as it is for a guy who's got an organic matter of 1.5%. Any thoughts on that? So
0: when, when you look at that soil test, I just got done saying I don't look at that soil test a whole lot. Is, is there a number that's too low when it comes back? Because for me, and the types of soils that I deal with west of 281 there in the northern part of the state, I'm used to seeing our soil tests come back at seven to nine part per million. That's pretty common range. And every once in a while you'll see a five creep in there and, and maybe an extremely rare one below that. Is there numbers that come back that are too low for fall or for spring that, that indicate that we're way out of whack in, our, in a program?
2: What I'm used to in uh, eastern Nebraska, western Iowa, would be a sulfur number somewhere between 5 and 9 part per million. And 5 and 12 part per million, I should say. So it just depends a little bit. Rainfall makes a big difference. Um, the warmness and how long it was between when the crop was growing and when you're actually taking your sampling and how long those you know that stover's had to break down, I'll kind of go into that. But I just expect a number between 5 to 9, and that's the baseline. If it's different than that, um, then maybe I'll put a little more thought into it.
1: I think the other thing that I look at too is the soil type you're dealing with and your application program. I sure don't want to throw all my sulfur up front out in some CECs of 10 or less or the mobility, I mean, maybe not quite as dramatic as nitrogen and its ability to percolate through those light soils, but I don't want all my sulfur up front uh, where it has a chance to move faster than the root activity can keep up with it during the growing season. So I think uh you know managing that application in those lighter soils is probably as relevant as a soil more relevant than the soil test number myself
0: i i think sulfur is probably one of the most critical elements when you talk about the soil test and things like that of having the trusted advisor that understands your soils understand your soil test the timing that the test was taken and things like that to bring relevance and and, and context to that sulfur sample versus maybe anything else that's on a normal S1A, S5, your normal crop ground soil test. Yeah, I would
2: agree with that too. The one thing I, I do think about with sulfur and Neil brought it up there is, uh, is you go to chase yield. So let's just say that I, I've got, uh, I, I'm under irrigation. I've been doing some some 250 bushel corn. I, I'm wanting to get more fields where I can get in that 270, 280 range. Making a single application of sulfur just isn't going to cut it. You need to be making multiple applications of nitrogen. If you've got a pivot, well, you can put it through there. It's a great way to deliver both nitrogen and sulfur. If you're, you know, dry land but still pushing yield, you're pushing that, say, 225 bushel. um, multiple applications of nitrogen and sulfur and putting the two of them together i think are really important so you know if you're a grower who's looking at well what's the next thing i could do and you're not making multiple applications of nitrogen and sulfur those would be two that just kind of travel well together and i would put them together Potassium's is another one i throw out there they're they're just a little bit more mobile nutrients are needed a lot more as that plant starts to get into late vegetative early reproductive stages Throwing it out more than once in a year, I think, makes a lot of sense.
0: Neil, you said something there a little while ago I want to come back to. But before we do that, I think it's time to pause a little bit and step away from the conversation about sulfur and go into one of our fun farm story segments here. So, Neil, as as this week's guest, you get the honor of reaching back in the memory banks here and telling us the... One of the stories from the I won't say vast history because I don't want to insinuate that that Neil has a couple of of years on us, Tim. But, but there's
2: more than one gray hair
0: on that head. <laughs> but Neil, thinking thinking back in the archives, give us give us a fun story you can you can share in this medium.
1: Well, I, I will remember the first time I rode in a combine in the, in the mid late nineties on a field up by Albion, Nebraska, that, that uh, one uh, of Can our, I stop
2: you there? Is this the 1890s or the 1990s?
1: <laughs> <laughs> this was actually the 1990s. Uh, he called me and said, you need to come get in my combine with me. I want you to look at the yield monitor and tell me that I'm not crazy for what I'm seeing. And, and obviously I was a regional agronomist for a seed company at the time. And uh, I made a lot of recommendations to this group. They were a dealer of ours and I got the combine and his combine yield monitor was bumping 300 bushel per acre. And that was unheard of at the time. It was 50 bushel better than he'd ever seen on the yield monitor. And he said, do you think I ought to have the yield monitor checked? And he said, cause it's only two years old and it's the first time we ever had one in here. And I said, well, we calibrated it for you before we started harvesting. He said, yeah, he said, but I'm afraid to go to the I'm afraid to go to the local elevator and even tell him that, let alone, you were the only guy, because you helped convince me to print this product on this particular field. So he said, I wanted to see whether you thought this was believable if I told somebody that. He said, I'm really concerned about telling my banker about it, not that I am financially concerned about it, but he said, I don't want to be called the guy that exaggerates out here, and I, I thought that was the most intriguing thing, because it truly was the first time I had been in a combine where we consistently bumped from 270 to two, 300 bushel and acre when the average yield was running about 200 but it, he was not afraid of fertility he had an ideal year with good moisture and we had the right hybrid in the right place maybe as much by luck as anything but uh, I, I always I forget I'll never forget that because he was more concerned about whether his integrity and his, his truth and his reliability in the community would be jeopardized if he told anybody he had 300 bushels of corn
2: so I guess our only question, Keith, is why did he choose Neil as the witness?
0: To yeah, as the, the one with integrity, right? I thought for sure when he said the hills of Albion, we were going to get a conversation about being such a steep slope in those goat hills that he had a safety harness on while he was in the buddy seat or something along those lines. So. Well, I had
1: one of those in northeast Nebraska where we uh, started spinning with duels on a combine going uphill in the winter because it was froze, and he went, had a grower that wanted me in it. And he said, we're going to get to the top and we're only going to be half full, but I'm going to get the grain cart up here and we're going to unload before we go downhill because (laughs) I want to see if he can make it downhill straight and you're going to ride with me down with an empty tank. And literally that was probably the most nervous I've ever been in the combine because when you had a a big John Deere with a 12 row head on it and dueled and you're slipping as you go up the hill. I was a little bit nervous of how, how fast we were coming down the hill. but
2: uh, At 12 row heads is like outrigger, so if you start to tip right, over, it just right, keeps you yeah. upright. That's the yeah. key there. Whether the
1: back wheels were going to stay on the ground on the combine or not, or whether we were just going to slide on the header all the way down the hill. and It was no small hill, but uh, that one probably had me the most nervous in a piece of equipment I've been in. All
2: right, back to sulfur. So. Have you guys had to deal with uh, fields? You know, Keith, you were talking about a single digit and I said, you know, that five to nine, five to 12 is kind of what I was used to. What do you think of when you run into a soil test and it comes back with a sulfur level of 80
0: part per million? Again, about trust in the, uh, trust in the soil test.
2: You're thinking maybe they let Tim loose back there in the laboratory again and he ran that test? Is that what you're saying?
0: It's definitely an anomaly that's going to make me ask a lot of questions <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, well, or just completely ignore it.
1: Or is it an old cattle yard? Yeah. Or do we get into an old no. area of manure that they just consistently yeah. covered with manure? that You know, still surprises. That's the thing I think, I think is still the most interesting scenario if we get us a little sidetracked here about how we grid sample. And the variability we see in the history of how long some fertility levels can stay in the soil after a farm place or a cattle yard or an area of consistent manure application has been. And some of that is 30, 40 years ago that we're still seeing those anomalies out there that, you know, if we don't do a fairly intensive amount of soil sampling, we don't understand. Yeah. We can't, we can't, we can't uh, evaluate how to manage that into a program
2: happens all the time that you're sitting there with the soil test results and you're talking to the grower and, and you're, you know, like you said, Keith, you're questioning, you know, did the lab mess this up? And you're like, well, I'm not sure of these numbers. And the grower say oh yeah, that, that's where, you know, the old cattle lot used to be. And, yeah. you know, more times than not, the grower can explain it to you and yeah. you can't figure it out yourself. I will say when I see a really high sulfur number in a soil test, I think about drainage. You know, sulfur is one of our mo- our mobile nutrients, you know, like nitrogen, but not quite as mobile, but it should be moving through the soil profile, you know, as it mineralizes and as we apply fertilizer, the crop takes it up, all that any that's left over really should move through the soil profile with drainage. So one of the first things I'm gonna wanna do is is talk to the grower about, you know do you get a lot of ponding in that spot? We can have a conversation. A lot of times it's gonna show up in the yield map as a poor spot. A lot of times it'll show up as high organic matter because the organic matter is not cycling there. So to me, it's an indication Uh, drainage uh, can be a problem with uh, soil health and just want to have a conversation maybe go check uh, get back out there and check for compaction layers you know of course if you're the guy that's sampling it and you know you had to jump up and down on the step of the probe for a while to get to go in the ground even though you weigh 225 pounds that that should be a clue too but some of us are slow
0: you said it not me um (laughs) with that note as we wrap up today you kind of breached the last subject and 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 you both touched on it right now is sulfur truly a mobile nutrient
2: yeah i guess i would say it's a mobile nutrient but not as sulfate it's a mobile nutrient not as mobile as nitrogen as nitrate so i count on especially in heavier soil and when we talk mobile okay well which soil are we talking about are we talking about sand are we talking about a you know kind of a silt loam are we are talking about stuff that's a heavy clay but it is mobile and I don't expect to be able to build it in the soil, like I think I can build you know, potassium and phosphorus and be able to bank on those so I don't try to spend extra money on sulfur to carry it for multiple years. But it doesn't move as fast as nitrate.
1: I'd agree with that and I think, you know, the, here again, management should be depicted by your CECs or the heavier, lighter uh, availability, the, the consequences of your soil. How well can they manage that sulfur on a crop growing season? And I really think that's the key thing is management of sulfur shouldn't be a whole lot different than nitrogen in that respect. Uh, that's how I like to look at it. It may be fairly simplistic, but I think if guys keep that in mind, I think that keeps it from being a nutrient that can surprise you at the end of the year. I, I will say this though, sometimes when we get to the middle of the growing season, we start to look at all of our micronutrients and think that's the important thing now because we're past our macronutrients uh, as far as their relevance. Uh, sulfur is one of those that we, we, we can't forget, no different than nitrogen, you can't forget it all the way through through brown silk, really, because it's got a very important role through brown silk. So uh, it's one of those that you really need to keep in mind through the end of the brown silk season, at least in the beginning of uh, ear development.
0: So with that, we've used up our time for the day. So first of all, I'd like to thank you, Neil, for, for coming in, and, and hopefully this wasn't too painful spending this much time at once with Tim and I, so...
1: No, I'm glad to do
2: it, guys. Right. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit CVAcoop.com. And you can see our Precision Focus blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf and Keith Byerly.